0: Today's date is Sunday, January 15th, 2023. My guest today is Ryan Remy. Ryan is a supply chain program manager with Aquarium Co-op. He also runs a fish room where he specializes in rare rainbow fish and has recently begun branching out to work with other types of fish. He's got a great Instagram page and YouTube channel, both under the name Hoon Aquatics. So Ryan, welcome to the podcast. Great to be on. Thanks for having me. Hey, no problem, man. Thank you for making time. And I will pat myself on the back. I just got through that intro in one take, given that it's been (laughs) over a year since I've had to do a podcast intro. So yeah, episode 107, off to a great start. So Ryan, all right. So we got to kick this off. We got to pay some bills, as these other podcasters like to say. This episode is sponsored by none other than Aquarium Co-op, which you happen to be an employee of. Same with me. Mm -hmm. So Ryan, give me... What product, what aquarium co-op product has hopped off the shelf and says, hey, I want to sponsor this episode of the Aquarius podcast. What would be the product? Well, you can do, you do one or two. One is fine. But if you want to do two and do extra, you know, a little extra credit, you totally can. What co-op product do you want to shout well, out and why?
1: I would be remiss to not shout out the light, which just came out, The what, about a week ago?
0: The Easy Plant LED is, I think, what you're referring to, Correct. Correct. And what a great light it is. I I
1: have a 12-incher on a 10-gallon tank, and it is way too bright for it, so I've (laughs) dimmed it down a couple notches, but it is fantastic so far.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, it's a great light. So the Easy Plant LED we've got six sizes right now. Um, there will be a seventh launching with the next order. So that's also in development. That will be the 16 inch version. So we we'll currently have we've got what the 12, the 20, the 24, the 30, the 36, and the 48. So covering all sorts of uh, flavors of tank sizes. IP67, which means that this thing, um, like dust and particles aren't going to get into into it. It can be submerged in water up to a certain depth for a certain period of time, and it's not going to fry out, and it's still going to work, which obviously, don't go and give your uh, aquarium light a bath, but it can handle it. We have an inline remote with a power switch that can go from off to on, and then also we've got a blue light moon mode, which I've never been a moon mode guy, but hey, you know it's a feature we've got on there. If you want to use it, go for it. And I believe six dimmer settings on this current generation. And I don't want to spoil anything, but we've got some got some things in the works for or this uh, this next shipment that we have some 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 upgrades <laughs> to the remote. So I don't even know if you're aware of those or not. No, not yet. Yeah, but we've got That'll some upgrades to it. Three-year warranty, super long power cord, so you do not need to run an extension cord. If you've got to run an extension cord to power this thing, you do not have enough outlets in your house because this thing, like you've <laughs> just, you've located your aquarium in your driveway, and you then need an extension cord to power the light because this thing's got like an almost a twelve-foot long power cord. So that that's one of those little details that people are like, oh, big deal. It's got a power cord, like an ext- an extension cord on it or a longer power cord. But when you're not having to run three daisy-chained extension cords to get to your power strip, you'll thank us. Mm-hmm. What else is great about the light, Ryan?
1: Honestly, it's just such a solid build. Comes at a pretty decent price point. Like, I was pretty satisfied with the 12-inch there. Uh, did not break the bank, and it's pretty much just as nice as my Fluval 3.0 so far.
0: Yeah, it's like that, uh, you know, Fluval 3.0 quality. Um, I think we've kind of bumped it up in, in some certain areas, but more like a Fenix Stingray price point, which both of those were lights that we carried. Um, yeah, so we're just super, super happy where we landed with the Easy Plant LED. And Ryan, I'm glad to say that uh, you're enjoying it on that on the uh, aquarium that you're running it on.
1: Absolutely. I also want to shout out the Powerhead. I added another one to one of my rainbow tanks, and it's made such a difference in the behavior and even kind of the cleanup of the tank has okay. been a lot easier, too.
0: Nice. There you go. Yep. Another another product with a super long power cord. and Because um, I feel like, power, like other brands of power heads, they come with like a six-inch power cord. It's like enough yes. to get it out of the aquarium, and then you instantly have to plug an extension cord into it if you want to get it down around the aquarium, down the back, into the cabinet, and hooked up to your power strip like and then it and then you do that thing where like it makes your power strip dangle because it's it's not long enough. Mm-hmm. It's one of those jobs. Um yeah, cool. And and hopefully soon we'll actually have our uh, our branded packaging on the power head and we're not going to have that plain white box which Ooh. yeah. So that'll be that'll be exciting. Nice, nice. All right, Ryan. So yeah, we've we've spilled the beans. You are a uh, a program manager, a supply chain program manager with Aquarium Co-op. Um, you've been in the role for how long? You've been how long you been with the coop now?
1: Uh, since July.
0: Since July. How many months is that? I don't want to do I don't want to do math. Six. Uh,
1: I. That sounds about right.
0: Yeah, I feel like we're rolling up on six if we're here in January. Um, so, yeah, so you're, you're an employee with us. You're behind the scenes. You're working vendor management. You're working new product introduction, um, warehouse operations stuff. Um, I think we'll probably touch on some more aquarium co-op stuff, or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just – the rest of the podcast will just be devoid of all aquarium co-op talk, which, you know – how, how long are we going? We're probably like 10 minutes into just praising how great our company is. Uh, but that's the great thing about a podcast. You can just fast forward through, uh, through my rambling. Mm-hmm. What is your origin story, Ryan? So how did Hoon Aquatics get his start way back when?
1: Uh, I think I've always been fascinated by marine life and fish. So when I was a kid, my mom got me ai a 16-gallon tank with two goldfish. Uh, Calico and probably Rocky were the names. Uh, grew them up to where they outgrew the 16-gallon tank way too fast. Had to give them to a pond. Uh, ended up giving them to a friend who had a pond. Oh, I was going to say, you, like, had, you had to eaten. give them to a
0: pond. What pond, what pond is this oh, that sorry. you just <laughs> dropped them off in, Ryan? Uh,
1: but uh, they were like immediately eaten by raccoons because they were a little bit
0: mm,
1: not the smartest. Oh, no. But uh, ended up transferring into kind of a tropical fish and kept a lot of tetras mollies guppies somehow couldn't keep guppies to alive even now all that easily i think it has to do with some of the softness in our water um but eventually got into uh rainbow fish even at a young age i think one of my first fish i ever spawned was either the golden wonder killie or emerald rainbow fish
0: nice and so let, let's take and, a, uh, let's take a step back yeah, sure. and like as as a you know well first off you're 16 gallon with the two goldfish what age was that roughly?
1: I would say some somewhere between
0: like five and eight. Oh okay. And then after those Rocky and Calico is that what their names were?
1: I believe so. Okay, so after Ra-
0: so after Rocky and Calico, how dare you not do your research and write all this down for uh, <laughs> for quick uh, retrieval? Um so did you just like keep the 16 gallon? Did you add tanks to your room? Like was it, you know, did you guys have like a shared fish room in your house? I guess kind of help me understand like the scope of your aquarium collection.
1: It was just that one tank for a very long time until I got like a 6 gallon hex, but it was basically my mom's tank and I got to choose which fish went in there and um for a while it was just that until i finally got a 30 gallon tank and got bit by the bug by cichlids so big cichlids that shouldn't really <laughs> go in a 30 gallon tank but um probably the most exotic thing i had back then was a red terror which i should not have owned
0: oh nice so what's the what's the red terror story
1: um it was a misidentified pet smart cichlid that just kind of Came in with a batch of uh, other cichlids. They didn't know what it was. I'm like, I want that one. And I had the time of my life, uh, maybe controversial, but I very much liked feeding uh, live fish to it. I was mm. a kid, kind of just uh, like that sort of thing. But... I mean,
0: f- fish eat fish in the wild, you know, it's uh, true, kinda, true. kind of a thing. Nature, nature but, is metal. Uh, eventually, yeah, it is.
1: But eventually rehomed that to uh, one of the local fish shops in the area, Uh, and they convinced me to get into more of the schooling, uh, tropical-type fish, and that's kind of where I lived for a while in the hobby, but got interest in breeding at a pretty young age. Wasn't the most successful, but um, started with egg scatterers instead of live bears, which probably is... Not the way people get their start.
0: <laughs> hey, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you just wanted to jump to the, uh, you wanted to jump to the the AP courses right out of the get go. Yeah. Uh, what what stores were you going to? Because you are in the east side of the greater uh, Seattle area. Um, were you going to like hmm. Denny's, Denny's Pet World, or what? What was your kind of local fish stores you were hitting up?
1: Yeah, that was pretty much every weekend we would go to Denny's Pet World, see what fish they have. It's probably the same
0: selection, but I'm like, oh, that one's different. Mm. What do you think of Denny's back then versus the new Denny's location?
1: Uh, the old one, it was almost like an event when they had their annual sale. It was like a carnival almost outside on the strip mall. So their old like location was very sentimental to me. Their mm. new one is nice, but um, it's a little bit more of, uh, I don't want to say a warehouse-y vibe, but it's a much more larger space. It's a little bit more open, but it uh, doesn't have the same feel to me at least yeah because it's got nice
0: yeah it's got really really high ceilings which denny's i love denny's denny's is great um but their old location though was in that you know built in the 60s or 70s kind of strip mall location low ceilings um and it was kind of spread Mm -hmm. over what seemed like would have been i don't know two or three retail spaces and you know their location was kind of spread throughout that um so Mm -hmm. yeah which which they don't really like and that's kind of one of the you know, if, if I'm going to start to sound like an old man and get on my soapbox and having traveled around the country with Amazon and, you know, doing some travel for the coop, everywhere around the country is starting to feel the same because, you know, you get these big box stores that then kind of anchor a shopping center and then you've got a PetSmart and an Applebee's and it, everything kind of feels the same where, you know, those those like low slung but spread out strip malls where everything was connected. Like, I don't know, there was something – there's something unique about those and kind of every town Mm -hmm. had their own independent stores that, that filled those basically. And, you know, now I feel like most of the time they just tear those out to kind of put the newer shopping centers in. And yeah, so nostalgia and all that good stuff. I totally, I totally see that. Absolutely. Yeah. And then egg scatter. So at what age were you like, Hey, let's try breeding some fish.
1: Uh, maybe 10 or 12. It was like searching a website I want to say was called Elmer's Aquarium or something on there. And I had a bunch of catalogs of breeding cichlids and other types of fish. And I was just like, I want to do that.
0: Nice. And so, so gave it a shot. Oh, go ahead. No, you, you go for it. I need to stop talking so much. Go for it.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I started off, uh, the first two projects were either the golden wonder Kelly or the, uh, emerald rainbow fish or glossolepus one Um, I was not actually successful successful in raising the fry to adulthood of the Glassolepis wanamensis or the Emerald Rainbows, but uh, was successful in raising a batch of the Golden Wonderkillies. Uh, my parents did not believe me. They're like, "Stop buying fish. Uh, <laughs> there's no way you bred these fish." Uh, and I'm like, "No, no, no. I did it. I did a thing."
0: That's awesome. And so, this was in the this was in the sixteen gallon, or was this in the hex? That was in the six gallon
1: hex. Okay. Uh, The glass lepis were in the thirty gallon, though.
0: And did you have a grow out tank? Were you catching out the fry once you were like once they were, I guess, free swimming, Um, or did you just leave them in with the parents, or did you pull the parents? I
1: pulled the parents, kind of like the LRB uh, musical fish kind of concept is kind of what I went for when I was a kid. Didn't really uh, put into full practice some of the tips that I read online, but I mean I was a kid, so.
0: Hmm. And then how did the – what were you feeding the fry? Like were they just eating the, you know, micro life in the tank up to a certain point where they could start eating prepared food? Or were you doing brine shrimp?
1: Uh, I was doing the egg yolk, kind of sanding that through a sieve and liquefying that.
0: You were like 12 years old feeding out yolk? That's amazing. Yeah. That's super (laughs) impressive, man. I didn't know that. Very cool. And so – and that was – that actually worked. Like I've never actually tried that. I think, I don't know, maybe I tried like hard boiled egg yolk smeared on the side of a bowl for discus fry, which did not work um, because I was kind of lazy and didn't change the water probably Mm -hmm. as much as I should have. But uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, you grew these fish up and like to, to, to juvenile adulthood.
1: Mm -hmm. Awesome. So that was the first species I was successful with. Also gave uh, golden honey grommies a, a shot. I think I only raised like two of their fry, but still was kind of fun to watch their breeding and spotting colors and behavior. Awesome.
0: And then how else did it progress?
1: Uh, and then I got bit by that cichlid bug and I had Jack Dempsey's gold, uh, red spotted gold severums. This was all when I just had the 30 gallon, so uh, don't <laughs> do as I did, but... Uh, so, ended up the, so these are them. all
0: these are all in the same tank then. Uh, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> you had you had the so Thunderdome.
1: It was a yeah. It was just a wrestling match all day every day. But they were beautiful fish. Ended up rehoming them. Uh, but I don't necessarily regret it. It was a learning opportunity and experience. I just wouldn't do it again or recommend doing it.
0: Mm-hmm. And all this while, One are you weirdest. are you a member of GSAS at this point, Greater Seattle Aquarium Society, or you're still just kind of in your own bubble, you know, looking at website catalogs and whatnot for information?
1: I'm still in uh, an active member of GSAS. I just find it hard to sometimes make the Tuesday meetings since it's a little bit later.
0: Oh, I'm sorry. I meant back then, like back then when you were working with these. Oh, back then, and, no. Yeah.
1: No, I only joined GSAS like. December before COVID shut down pretty much everything. Did you not? I'm fairly new to that.
0: Did you not know about it? Like I guess back in the back in the back in the day as a kid, like there were no flyers or join this aquarium club or there really no no knowledge of it. Yeah, I'd never heard about it until I oh, was out a, of college. That's a bummer, man. Because I could totally, like, I'm just picturing you as a, as a little kid that's already wanting to get into fish breeding and doing things like, you know, feeding out yolk and raising up fry and moving parents around. Like, that seems like you would have had an absolute blast at every single one of those monthly meetings. Oh, yeah. Mm, jump back in the time machine and join GSAS as a kid. And now you'd be like, yeah, you'd be a super ichthyologist right now. A super aquarist. Maybe.
1: Uh, as a kid, I was just very experimental. Uh, one of the things that uh, I had tried, and probably the weirdest thing is I ended up thinking, oh, my fish need vitamin C. Let me strain orange pulp from orange juice and feed it to the Jack Dempsey's. <laughs> Weird enough, they loved it. What? I don't know why, but they loved orange pulp.
0: Huh. I mean, you know, fruit falls off of trees all the time into the into the mm-hmm. water, so I could see... Yeah, it's not like they're gonna be a stranger to it, and I could see them kind of getting down because uh, Paku's, right, like one of Paku's yeah. foods is just eating fruit that falls off of trees into the into the water, right? So, mm-hmm. huh? So you okay? So you strained the orange pulp, so you're not putting straight OJ into the tank. It's right, just right. the it's just the dried out pulp or like your smushed up pulp, uh, still hydrated. Okay, huh? and then oh, i wonder what that I don't did you know how healthy that is though yeah like water parameters and stuff hmm fascinating <laughs> i would you're making the water acidic yeah which the water is already Corrupted fairly soft in uh yeah in the Pacific i'm not Northwest. sure i would repeat it <laughs> that's cool though what other what other crazy things did uh did you do
1: uh i don't think it was all that much craziness after that um at least, not that I can remember off the top of my head right now. But I did a lot of those, just tinkering, see what fish liked to eat and what they didn't.
0: Mm-hmm. Did you raise any like mosquito larvae in the backyard, or you know, try your hand at any daphnia when you were when you were younger?
1: Not when I was younger, but that's one of my favorite live foods to feed out when I'm breeding now.
0: Is daphnia, or
1: uh, both daphnia and, and mosquito uh, Black
0: mosquito larvae. Mm-hmm. Can you, are you actually successful with Daphne or are you just buying it and feeding it?
1: Uh, I basically just leave it out in the tub. Uh, the culture sometimes crashes in the winter, sometimes it stays going. Uh, but then by spring, they're popping up and they're going crazy again.
0: I, I've had nothing but terrible luck with Daphne um, several times trying it indoor, inside in the fish room, and then several times trying it outside in ponds. And I just can't, yeah, it's it, for me, it's just buy the Daphnia and then just. Instantly feed it because I'm not gonna be able to keep it alive. Uh, mosquito hmm. larvae, though, I'm I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> I can <laughs> I can definitely leave a uh, a busted old aquarium outside, let it fill up with water, and uh, up to up to wherever it leaks. And uh, sure enough, you know the mosquitoes. You know it's uh, I, I bring them to the yard and they do their thing, and then I get mosquito larvae. I usually thought it was milkshakes that brought things to the yard but well it's mosquito larva milkshakes or it's it's milkshakes for the mosquitoes yeah. so you know I do a little do a little dance mm. out there and they all just come which mosquitoes do love to bite me so that's kind of a true statement.
1: Mm. Well it mosquito larva is only nice as a food if all the fish eat them. I had a bedroom tank where I guess the fish just couldn't see the mosquito larva through the green water, and they all hatched out, and it was a nightmare.
0: Oh, I feel like you told me about this story. So what What happened?
1: Well, it was just a green water full of, like, medaca fry in my bedroom, and I had, like, sealed it up with saran wrap and stuff just in case the mosquito larva got out, and I assumed all of them were eaten. But then one day, I opened up the lid, and there was, like, 50 larvae, or <laughs> not larvae, that flew
0: out. Ha! <laughs> Uh, That's I was like, oh, my God. So then you you spent the next hour killing all the mosquitoes? Yes. So there's a
1: bunch of mosquitoes just squished on the side of my uh, room, which probably needs to get cleaned off. But uh, it was like three (laughs) days. Each time I opened the lid, it was just waves of waves of mosquitoes.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. And the Madaka fry just would not. Do you think that the larvae were just too big for them?
1: They might have been. And I think the green water kind of impaired their vision a little
0: bit. (laughs) that's so funny. <laughs> All right. So when does, uh, when does your hobby take off to the point where you've now got, um, cause uh, describe your fish room right now for us. Uh,
1: it's a fairly small fish room. It's a 75, uh, up top, which used to house, uh, like five 10 gallon tanks for breeding and raising fry. And down below it's a uh, four 20 gallon, uh, highs. And that used to be my main breeding rack. Um, it's actually heated with a reptile heating mat under the bottom, which most people do not recommend. I probably wouldn't do it again if I were to build a fish room again, but it's worked well to kind of compromise not heating the room versus not heating every individual tank. Uh, and then I have two 40s, uh, in there, a 50 gallon acrylic, and then some 10 scattered around, uh, as well.
0: Do you still have your original tanks, that little, the 16, and then the, what, the six-gallon Hex?
1: My mom still has the 16. The Hex is probably somewhere in storage.
0: Mm, nice. So for nostalgia's sake, you could, you could bust out the Hex and have both of the tanks that got you going. That's awesome. Oh, yeah. All right, so I'm curious. You are running four 20s on the bottom rack, and mm-hmm. underneath all four is a reptile heater, or each one has a reptile heater?
1: It's just a mat that basically gets like this, uh, I don't know the correct electrical terms, but charge of, of electricity that heats underneath all of the tanks. So it's just one single strip of heating mat plugged into a central thermostat. And I set it to like 80, the mid- the tanks in the middle will get up to about 78 degrees and the ones on the outside are- will get to about 76.
0: Okay, so it's so- not like a
1: perfect calibration
0: because okay so the one the mats that i'm used to they're the ones that have the adhesive uh they've got the adhesive on one side and then you stick it to the underneath glass or the side depending on you know what reptile species you're working with um is it is it one of those actually adhered or is it something that the tanks are supposed to sit on top of but not be in direct contact with the with the glass
1: that i don't know and i probably should but it's a it's a really flat um, mat uh, so it doesn't really stick to anything
0: okay um do you know is it like a zoomad or like where did you where did you find this mat uh,
1: I'm i so think i curious, got it on Ryan. reptilebasics.com
0: okay and it's not adhesived it's not like glued to to the bottom to the glass Nope, huh, no, I okay. just put the tanks right on top of it. Yeah, because that's, I mean, and I think maybe a lot of people listening instantly th- go to the warning, right? If you if, Maybe they also have reptiles and they need to keep them to heated. But those like Zoomed and other brands where they actually glue, like if you physically adhere to the bottom or the side, like they very much mm-hmm. like caution and warning, do not use on an aquarium, do not use where there's water. Um, and I believe something happens where it just causes the gl- the glass to straight crack. Is either that, or it causes the, or what is it? Is it the heater can't handle heating up that much volume of water? So if this thing is underneath though, and it's just putting off you know ambient heat, if you will. I could see mm-hmm. how that would that would you know that would obviously work. It's worked in your case, um, where instantly, as you said, a reptile heater. That's where my mind went, and I'm like, how did you pull oh. this off without exploding an aquarium or some other catastrophic failure? But okay, so now we've we've cleared that up, and that works. Cool. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Gets the job done. Mm-hmm. And so, what's uh, and I've used
1: it on both substrate and bare
0: tanks as well. So awesome hopefully like knock on wood that like right after this episode ends like you're uh like something bad happens <laughs> to your tanks so. yeah <laughs> all right so what, what do you have in the fish room right now
1: Uh, mainly rainbow fish i've dialed it down to i believe just 12 species of rainbow fish that i'm currently keeping i don't know how nerdy you want me to get on that um but also some geophagus some other cichlids um uh corey doris is a big focus and some hype and Sisters and other plecos
0: you and bob you guys are both on the corey train right now right
1: yeah uh, i've been bit by the high-end corey bug but <laughs> fortunately i'm not paying full retail price on some of them but
0: it still hurts all right so what is your we'll just kind of bounce all over the place because why not um okay. What is your most expensive retail-priced quarry? And right now, I'm on your Hoon Aquatics, which I would assume. Mm. And, and and to go back, so Hoon um, Ken Block, rest in peace. Hoonigan, the 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 automotive channel. I actually you know, let you know about it, Ryan, about what happened. Mm-hmm. So your Hoon Aquatics is not the same Hoon as Hoonigan in like Australian slang for people that like drag race and do you know drifting and stuff like that. So what, what's the origin of your Hoon Aquatics name?
1: Yeah, so my Korean name is Ji Hoon, which I believe the Chinese characters uh, would, the meaning is wisdom teaching, and I took Hoon, the teaching part of that, and though I strive to someday be able to teach more people about the niche parts of the hobby that I like to focus in, uh, right now my main focus has just been learning and continually learning
0: oh so that's even deeper than just your name i like it so the name has a meaning and the name applies to what you're trying to do i like it very cool all right so yeah hoon aquatics on uh instagram and youtube and if i remember how to do it i will have links in the show notes um but all right so i'm on your instagram ryan are these are these uh mystery elusive expensive quarries are they featured on here
1: Yes, so oh, yeah. probably in Maybe. video form, and me, they're just like one inch juvies.
0: Okay, let me let me guess which one they are. I assume they're going to be okay. these, the hyphen guys. Uh well, they do get hyphened as they get older. All right, let me click on let me click on this picture. Oh, you said it's in video form only. Uh, oh, so it's probably I a, should the, have a picture. Corydoras bosmani.
1: No, but that I got from TM Aquatics, and they are beautiful. I would say kind of a budget version of uh the other one
0: okay so you've got equis on here which we should talk about my equis and apparently what they did at the retail store (laughs) um let's see here let's see here pictures you got a lot of rainbow fish pictures you got your beautiful geos which we should talk about those too are they these guys let's see here nope still the still the bozmone this is wonderful for um audio podcast by the way (laughs) (laughs) do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> I me mean, just making noises and saying what i see uh, i got some beautiful pistos in here okay what are they spill the beans where am i gonna find them the
1: cory doris cw 111 or i guess the nicknames are the vulcan or the Zabrina cory
0: okay so not identified yet not not scientifically identified or named right okay and you've got them in videos i'm just not seeing them right
1: all right, what, it, well, they're, they're little jobbers right now, but uh, what, they're right underneath the Mellis uh, near the
0: top. Corey CW, which one? 111, so 111. CW111. And if I'm really, really good at my job, I will link maybe the Planet Catfish CW111. Oh, oh, man, that is a very high dorsal fin. Holy smokes.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: They the get Vulcan... that in uh, breeding coloration. Zebra Pansermale in Denmark. Awesome. Super cool. All right. So what is is the retail price on a CW111? Currently,
1: the cheapest I've seen online is about 200 per fish. Wow. And that is way <laughs> cheaper than what they were a few years ago. I had heard stories that some of them were going for over a thousand of fish in Japan.
0: Are the, oh, I was going to say, are these the are these like the broad rock Japanese ones or like just the, no, the, the uh, super uh, high, high a end ones that the goal. Japanese want? Yes.
1: Yeah, so uh, it seems like the Japanese will pay just about anything for the fish and then. We'll get them later on, mm. uh, but yeah, the Bodrock ones were the parallelus.
0: Okay. Yeah, these CW1 ones are pretty awesome. I don't know about, I mean, even you said two hundred a fish.
1: Right. Yeah. Unfortunately, I did not have to pay that amount, but I don't want to throw my source under the bus Shh. there. And no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, we don't. We don't want to be throwing people under the bus here or letting sources out. Um, okay, so yeah, I mean that fin, that dorsal fin is ridiculous. It's like. Mm -hmm. The length, it's like the standard length of the body just turned north and is, is the door. So that's amazing. So, um, yeah, just super, super awesome. I mean, it kind of looks like what, like a salt and pepper quarry. Yeah. Just about. Yeah. Just, uh,
1: kind of gets more delineated lines.
0: Okay. And so yours are juvies right now. How many did you get?
1: Only three. That's the only amount that he was able to, uh import and not have any losses with
0: okay so there was it was an international seller then your international contact
1: uh no actually a local local buddy that imports them
0: oh okay all right and did he import them from because it looks like they come from brazil do they come were they wild caught or are they tank raised from europe or asia like what's the what's the source or even allowed to say tank that? raised okay
1: or at least as far as i know they're tank raised um I'm not sure exactly where, but I know in Asia they're having a lot of success breeding them over there. Uh, Europe also has them, and they've probably been breeding them in mass too.
0: Okay, so he just told you, "Hey Ryan, hey Mr. Hoon, I can get you some CW111s," but you, you you were just so excited you'd even ask where they came from. No, <laughs> <laughs> are they've you?
1: They've been on my list for a while.
0: Uh, are you curious I now? Are you curious to know what country they came from? I may reach out after this. Yes, time. there you go. And then we'll circle back in a in a later episode. And then you can let everybody know because I'm I, I I don't. know. It'd be super cool to know. Like, do they come from Europe? Do they come from Asia? Are they? Because obviously we said that they're not uh, they're not wild caught. Um, if you do want to go right. wild, catch them. Rio Cura in Brazil uh, is apparently where these guys are in the hmm. wild. We should go there and get some uh, get some wild ones. I'm down. All right. So how so? How long have you had them now?
1: Only a few weeks, but they've done great. Uh, some of the rainbows in there were harassing them a little bit, so I was nervous, but put a couple, like, clumps of java moss glued to small rocks in there, and that's enough to just give them some cover to get away from the rainbows. If the rainbows are like, hey, what the what are you doing over
0: here? Oh, man, I am surprised you did not put these in their own tank and just, like, instantly excommunicate any rainbow that uh, gave them a hard time. Oh, every everybody or, like thing that
1: holds water in my house will have rainbows in there probably
0: <laughs> is this them man you gotta you gotta post up on the on instagram with these fish i'm not seeing them anywhere i see equis i see bosomani i see uh, oh here they are okay it's because they're so like drab and juvenile form okay mm-hmm. although their tail is still so pretty zebra-y awesome CW111 Juvie starting to darken up. Can't wait to watch them mature. Me too, Ryan. Me too. Mm-hmm. Did I like that photo? I'm gonna give you a like on it. Hold on. Here we go. Oh, okay. That's a that's Appreciate a live it. that's a live like right there. Awesome, man. Very cool. Was it fairly nerve wracking the whole time? Like once you handed over the money to when you actually got these fish. I, I don't even want to say in hand. Like actually in aquarium water.
1: Oh, I had to see them in person before I pulled the trigger. I'm like, I- I'd like to see how they're looking first.
0: Oh, okay. So, a good enough relationship where you didn't have to give this guy any money down and he was willing to mm-hmm. to let you see him first. Oh, that's a that's a yeah, good that's- dealer. I like that. Oh, yeah. But then even then, like, you hand them money and then the like the drive home. I mean, is is that probably the more expen the most expensive fish you've ever purchased?
1: Uh I guess that's hard to say. Um, <laughs> right? Say how much? How much money expensive? have you spent on
0: fish? <laughs> uh, not as much as Robert is all that matters. <laughs> yeah, but Robert's though is over volume. Yours seems to be. Uh, <laughs> yours seems to be just concentrated to like specific species. So your, per, your the average cost per expensive. fish is is, is is I believe is probably going to be quadruple what Robert pays. I, I
1: that's fair. Uh, but the most expensive ones are also one that. Is not really sourceable right now. That's the hyphen sisters uh L333 grade AA from Pleco Ceramics before they were uh invaded in the war.
0: So in Not only was it not only did you hit me with an L number, but then you dropped a grade on me.
1: Yeah, we so went, it, there's we, wow. a lot of we went and We and
0: went this. real When did the grade start happening in Pleco's? Uh
1: I want to say it was started with like the L236 with the super white super yellows and then they started to see more uh diversity in patterns in the L333 as well uh which is one of the ting- King Tiger Plucker yeah, varieties
0: Yeah. Which I'm pretty sure I had didn't Dean give me one of these for my birthday a couple of years ago? Doesn't Yeah, you, I Dean had some l mm Mhm. Okay.
1: Uh, these are line bread to increase that amount of yellow lines on there.
0: And then, yeah, because yours, you have you definitely have pictures of those on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. Okay, and those guys are going to be your great A's. Oh, yeah, they're definitely awesome fish, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, they're one of my favorites. When they come out to eat, I don't usually see them that often, but at least they're bold <laughs> enough to come out for food.
0: I'm pretty sure that there's been a couple memes of like, "Hey, look at this amazing tank with these expensive fish," and it's like, "Where are the fish?" Yeah, pretty much. Oh no, they're they're there. They're just they're just in their caves. Uh, how long have you had those L three 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 grade triple A or double A? Double A, I believe. Double A. Okay, you didn't want um, to spring for which the Which is AAA. subjective. <laughs> I mean, you know, mm. come, you know, n- dabbling a little bit, or at least you know, understanding the world of uh, of high end neocaridina and caridina and like their crazy grading schemes it's it, it's i'm well aware of it and yet it's still funny that it's now kind of moved into the pleco realm or at least i'm mm-hmm. learning that it's that it's it's in the pleco realm as well pleco ceramics which is in the ukraine
1: uh i believe they uh had to relocate to another country so they're still able to sell their caves and food but uh they just got that strain of uh, l333 back
0: how long have they been doing... I I mean, I've, I've obviously known of their Pleco Ceramics, like their caves and whatnot, which are super cool, but I didn't know that they're actually breeding mm-hmm. fish.
1: Yeah, that's the only farm I've seen where they're breeding zebra Plecos like their ancestors. Like, they're just cranking them out when they're in their uh, Ukraine location. Interesting.
0: Um, is it on their website, plecoceramics.com? So they've got... Uh, uh... I'm not sure. Hmm. They
1: had a good IG for a while, but... Uh... It's uh, kind of taken a hit after
0: they had to move. Oh, here we go. Uh, actual price list. Watch now. I think they use the wrong words there. Da-da-da-da-da. Trading possibilities. Da-da-da. Oh, it's like a blog article. Interesting. Oh, that's very cool. And so those obviously came from Europe then, the ones that – your L333s. Yes. Okay. and So you- they were
1: imported over.
0: Gotcha. And what was that process like? Because that was where – you didn't have an intermediary. You were the you were the importer on that one.
1: Nope. So my uh just to clarify for that, that one was also through my local source uh. from the CW 111s But okay. the ones where I was trying to import eggs was from uh Dave Wilson in Australia, and that's where I had the experience of working with
0: uh
1: Washington Fish and Wildlife and kind of the legalities of that
0: of that. Mm-hmm.
1: But my first successful import was actually a cichlid from Sweden. Oh, it's cool. not native to Sweden, but it's uh native to Guyana. Mm. It's the Vanatara bimaculata, which is a cousin to the uh, zebra acara, which is uh, starting to become well uh, more well-known, but still kind of sparse. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have, I have experience of importing plants for the co-op and that is not a fun process at all. The inspection, the bonded move mm-hmm. between warehouses to go from the airline airport to the um, is it USDA? no no, not USDA it's not beef um, <laughs> who's, who's doing our which, which federal branch is doing our, uh, our, our what agency is doing our plant inspection? Um, I can't think of it but yes it's not it's not a fun mm-hmm. process for plants and it almost sounds like fish are easier from like the research that I've done and people that I talked to that I don't know what it is, but, um, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe they're like, okay, if those fish get out, they'll probably just die in our cold water where plants could probably be more Mm -hmm. resilient. Um, yeah. Okay. And so what, let's, let's go back then to when did your fish room start to grow to what it is now? So when, when did you go beyond your two aquariums to what you've got set up?
1: Uh, coming back from the ho- to the hobby from uh, after college, uh, it started off just kind of seeing a random like Aquarium Co-op and maybe like Green Aqua videos on my YouTube feed, um, then discovering the Aquarium Co-op YouTube channel, and then I'm like, I kind of want to have a fish tank again. So ended up getting a 20-gallon fish tank, uh, did not really tell anybody that I was going to start up that. So I had that in my bedroom. Oh, as in, and, as in your family. <laughs> when you yes. Say, okay. Uh, uh, and then got, you know, uh, four electric blue Jack Dempsey's because what is a better idea than putting <laughs> four large <laughs> in a 20 gallon and, oh, I'm definitely going to buy a bigger tank uh, in a little bit. Um, and yeah, I ended up thinking that was a bad I- idea. Got rid of them uh, as in rehoming them. And then, uh, once again, rediscovered Rainbow Fish through uh, the Gary Lang tour that Aquarium Co-op did. And it sounds like it's a similar story to both you and uh, Bentley. Yeah, so
0: there's there. at least there's at least three of us goofballs that uh, gotten a Rainbow Fish because of that video. And I would have to imagine there are probably a handful more of people that uh, gotten a ra- Rainbow, Rainbow Fish because of that video.
1: Mm-hmm. And from there, I pretty much just decided, I need every one of those species that Gary has. And it <laughs> turned into extreme collectoritis to the point where it's like, I had probably about 45 species of rainbow fish in 14 tanks, which I guess you had asked about that expansion. It was just convincing that I needed to upgrade from the 20-gallon tank to something else. Let me set up a breeding rack, and that took a lot of convincing, um, but eventually got back <laughs> to Happen and then, oh, let me just put a couple more 40 breeders on the side. Uh, and then they got wise to that. And uh, the second time I asked that, like, no, that's too many tanks, so I started putting uh 10 gallon tanks in uh fish (laughs) cabinets and my closet. So, and
0: and I feel like the pond is a pretty easy sell, like putting you know, putting some tubs Mm -hmm. outside. I feel like you know, the the significant others and the parents are going to be very. You know, a lot more lenient with that stuff versus aquariums inside the house.
1: Yep, yep. So we got three tubs outside as well for or it's the forty gallon stock tubs.
0: The forty gallon stock tub is it metal or did you go with the? Oh, are they the low ones? The low Rubbermaids. Uh,
1: it's the uh tough stuff from Tractor Supply Company.
0: Are they Are they just circular or are they like oval shaped?
1: They're oval.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, I think I think I know which ones you you've got then. And they're forty gallons? Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's see here. So you it sounds like you had more rainbow species than tanks, correct?
1: Correct. So were you I yeah.
0: So so my 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 line of thinking here is did you anger the great Gary Lang by mixing like species or did you did you keep them um genus segregated like were you mixing melatonia with the, melatonia or would you mix like Chilorthina with melatonia um to keep that uh cross species breeding from happening
1: i basically just segregated any species that kind of looks similar mm-hmm. um all pretty much all rainbow fish genus can interbreed with each other at least in theory um, I would like to see a Glossolepis radinocentris hybrid. I don't think
0: that'll happen, but uh, theoretically <laughs> possible. Why not? Um, Why not? They're just they're egg scatters. It's not like there's, you know, it's not like there's any like physical interaction between them.
1: That just feels like a Doberman and a Chihuahua mix. Yeah, but that's, that's that, wrong.
0: Yeah, but that's physical interaction there, though. I mean, the fish, mm-hmm. it's it's definitely, you know, we're not talking about guppies here, right? Um, like a right, guppy, right. like a guppy and a shark, you know, crossbreeding or anything. But, uh, yeah, no, I mean it's. It, so are there are there actually documented cases of? Um, and so and so for those that don't know, the theory is, or at least in my head, what I've been taught is that um, you know what are, there's like what four or five kind of main genus of um, mm-hmm. rainbow fish. Actually, there's really like two main genus that we see in the hobby. Like if you go into any random fish store, you'll have Melanotaenia. I'm probably pronouncing mm-hmm. that differently than maybe you will. But melatonea, that's going to be your Bosmani rainbow, your Praycox right, rainbow, right. Um, your turquoise rainbow. So those are going to be in the genus melatonea. Hey, we're actually teaching something right now. This feels good. Hopefully, it's just right information. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. Hoon. We're hooning it up, baby. Um, so oh, you've yeah. got you've got like the melatoneas, right? And there's a bunch more kamakas, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure, fall under melatonea. And then you have right, right. chillerthena which Chillerthena is a more mm-hmm. elongated, kind of more cone-headed fish. They all have right. similar body types, but you know with with some of these distinctions, right? Obviously being in a different genre. Mm-hmm. So chillerthena I had um, chillerthena fasciata uh, from what was it, like the Ungolum collection point? Beautiful yes. purple, mm-hmm. uh, silvery fish. Really, really awesome. Um, I did breed those many times, so there we go. Nice. And they, they were from Gary Lang. Uh, so... The, in theory, so you've got chilothenas, what, Glossolepsis, you've got the Rhino, mm-hmm. something, something, the little guys, and they should right, not, right. because they're from a different genus, they should not be able to interbreed. So you could have, like if you were short on space and you wanted to work with a couple different rainbow species, and with rainbows, as maybe we'll talk about, you can do, um, you typically will do a spawning mop, so like yarn hanging from a piece of cork floating in your aquarium and the females will go and lay the eggs in the mop that's floating, and the males will come and fertilize. So if you had different genera, and they're doing their morning when the light kicks on or whatever their particular spawning behavior is, they lay the eggs in the mop. If a male from a different genera came along, he should not be able to fertilize those eggs, only the male from that species. So you could have a, you know two different types of rainbow fish from two different genus, work with them in the same aquarium, pull that spawning mop out, have them hatch out, raise them up on brine shrimp, whatever it is, and at some point they'll get to a, a, um, a stage where you can start to tell the difference and then you could then separate them or keep them together as you grow them out without worrying about crossbreeding. Where if we took Bosmani rainbow, Melitonea bosmani, and we took Melitonea praecox, right? If we took dwarf rainbow fish and bosmani and put them in the same tank, they are able to crossbreed they will be able to, um, and I know this from experience, so they will be able to Mm -hmm. uh, fertilize the eggs from the other melatoninae species. And so it's, it's, you know, and maybe it's Gary and, like, the very, very hardcore rainbow people, but they're absolutely... Um, against the crossbreeding of rainbow fish, interspecies mixing, um, you know, their whole thing right, is right. these fish are beautiful enough in their wild form, no need to mix them, and, you know, say what you will about that, that's their stance, and so that's, a, like, a, a very long-winded mm-hmm. kind of explanation on that. Where were we even going? Oh, yeah, I was asking you, were you being a good Gary Lang-I, uh student, ah. pupil, uh, apprentice, if you will, Padawan, and were you following his guidance on that?
1: At least in terms of uh, breeding, yes. In community tanks, I had mixed a lot of species together. Um, And then actually off of your point, at least on a genetic basis, I believe in theory those genus shouldn't cross. The interesting part is there's a famous one called the crossing rainbow or sometimes called the cerulean or uh, sometimes mislabeled even as Melanotania trifasciata. But it's theorized to be a, a mix between Melanotania bosmani and uh, glossolepus incisus. So that one is
0: oh, yeah, here it, we it's go. more theory,
1: but I'm not sure the true genetics of that one.
0: <clears throat> so this uh, Maidenhead Aquatics uh, UK site, the Crossing Rainbow Fish, is a man-made hybrid thought to be a cross between Melanotania bosmani and Glossalepsis incisus. Although they may not be to the taste of purists, (laughs) that's funny that they have Mm. them here. Although they may not be to the taste of purists, this is an attractive fish that has been bred in the Far East for some time and is usually readily available in the trade. This article was written in 1847 with their reference to the Far East. No, I'm I'm making that up. It's it's only because they're saying the Far East. Like, that's hilarious. Um, Because if you go far enough east from the UK, you'll just hit the United States. So Mm -hmm. is it Asia? Or is it like you went so far that you're now in, I don't know, Kentucky? Like, where did you go? How far east did did you travel um, in your your statement? But, oh, cool. There we go. And, oh, here's some pictures of it. Um, Yeah, and at some point, you know, you've got, like, your different color variants and patterns and lines and striations, and they kind of start to look mm-hmm. the same, you know, whether it's, like, reddish, mm-hmm. yellowish, bluish. Um, oh, pretty fish, though. But, oh, interesting.
1: Yeah, and to the point of uh, – or, I guess, against the point of the Pyrrhus is uh, there's – actually a lot of natural hybridization that occurs in the wild with rainbow fish, sometimes man influenced. And a lot of the times not like in Australia, there's uh, plenty of triphasiata or uh, Australis hybrids. So there's one from alligator Creek that kind of has the Goiter river look for triphasiata, but has some markings similar to Australis. And then there's some other ones that are uh, available in the U S like the upper Catherine river, that is, I believe, a Splendida and Australis hybrid. So there are ones that are naturally occurring. So I'm not sure hybridization is that um, negative in some sense. Mm-hmm. Probably helps with genetic diversity.
0: Colossalepsis. Um, isn't that isn't that where the millennium millennial millennium rainbow fish also comes from? Yeah. Okay. That's the one. Big, big old red body, yeah. Mm-hmm. They're pretty. Yeah, those things get fairly large, too. And actually, Denny's has a Denny's has a beautiful Rainbow Fish Aquarium, right? Do they still have it up?
1: Yeah, they did transfer it to a different tank. It used to be a saltwater tank, but they planted that up. So right. they transferred a lot of those rainbows over there. And they actually have some rare uh, species that the Wet Spot slash Cichlid Exchange is able uh, to kind of get out there this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, super cool. All right, so where did we – how did we go down this rabbit hole of – oh, day? Yeah. day. So ra- rainbow fish, um, what are you doing with rainbow fish, Ryan? Like you're working with them, you're breeding them. Where are they going?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, I've kind of scaled back breeding rainbow fish just because I get a little bit tired of looking at silver minnows like throughout <laughs> the entire year. So just kind of establishing – Group colonies and just having a couple of breeding projects here and there. Can you,
0: can you unpack but, um, that statement of uh, silver minnows? Yes.
1: Yeah, so, uh, like in the Bozmani from Aves Creek, uh, it took a year, a year and a half to get to about one point five inches. So when you look at your Bozmani that are colorless, two inch, two and a half inch in the uh, the fish store, uh, those are probably Fairly old fish, or not old, but, like, it took them a while to get there. Uh, and I think it's sometimes hard to appreciate rainbow fish with that slow growth until they really hit their stride.
0: Yeah, uh, and So a, a having no, a fish
1: room full of fry is
0: meh. A, a notoriously slow-growing fish, even when you're feeding um, high-quality live foods, baby brine shrimp, every mm-hmm. single day. Like, they, they are stubbornly slow, which is kind of, like, an interesting evolutionary you know um trait i guess you know you would think like Mm. yeah man you got to grow you gotta you gotta get to sexual maturity and we gotta you know let's let's go 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 time is limited we are small fish um where rainbow fish are, i don't know like they just uh they just go a little bit slower And, and for perspective so let's compare you know somebody's like hey man i like rainbow fish you know, I'm going to bring some of these in. This is beautiful. I'm going to breed it up, and then this will be, like, my breeding for profit fish or, like, whatever, mm-hmm. right? So if we compared it to, say, an angelfish to when you could get an angelfish up to an acceptable size to take it to your local fish store, like, that quarter size is probably, mm-hmm. I don't know, like, what, four months, five months, maybe less? Yeah, just –
1: I would have said about four months. and, then, and Rainbow
0: then, fish are fish like, what, a nine
1: to a year, maybe? I would say nine on average. You got some of the dwarf species that you can crank out uh, earlier, but some of the bigger ones uh, will also have a faster growth rate, like the goldie-eye decays. I got some of those up to two inches at like four months old, whereas some other species, they may still look like a little dinky,
0: Little fry. I will say it's cool though that Precox Rainbow, in my experience, like they get their dimorphism at a -hmm. a very small size, but they're just too small to really bring into a fish store, right? Compared to like what the fish store could get from their distributor or their wholesaler or whatever. Um, But seeing like a very, Mm -hmm. very tiny little, like, oh, that guy's got red on it. That's going to be the boy. Oh, that one's got yellow on it. That's going to be the girl, you know, those, uh, the the fin coloration that they get. Um, It's pretty cool seeing it in such a small little package.
1: Like I've seen like half inch praecox basically fire up that breeding stripe and it's like. What are you doing? You're too young for this.
0: <laughs> you sound like a protective parent. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, and that's and that's not to say like, hey, if if you know you're already working with rainbow fish or this in, this conversation inspires you to do it, like, don't let the slow growth of it. Now, if you are trying to min max a business and be as profitable as possible with your at home fish breeding operation, and time is of the essence, and feeding brine shrimp, which is a co- which can be costly if you're doing it every single day. You know, then maybe you don't want to do rainbow fish. Maybe you want to do a different type of fish. But um, you know, if it's something that you want to do for the pure, you know, passion in the hobby and to try something different or try different rainbow fish, like by all means, breed them up. Like they, you know, they breed pretty easy. It's just the the growth is the slow mm-hmm. part, really. Although I yeah. s- yep. I say that, and I think we've talked about this before, but my red neon rainbows, um, help me out here. Lacistris, are they leucistris? Is their species name? What's the genus? Uh, that's the pseudo- turquoise rainbow, pseudo sudo McGill. Pseudomagil-
1: yes. I'll stop you there. If, uh, Peter Unmack ever comes across this podcast, I need to make the distinction that sudo are not rainbow fish. <gasps> so, uh, why they are, why are they, not- they are distantly related, but under trade names, they get thrown in rainbows.
0: Oh, Ryan, that is, that is hardcore. That's a purist talking right there. So the uh, red maybe a bit, the yeah. red neon rainbow fish let's call it. what would you change the name to then what would you change the common name if Ryan had his way
1: Oh I don't really use common names so I'm going to sound a little bit oh, snobby there you,
0: <laughs> I don't really use common <laughs> names Oh my god I think that's so going to be that's going to be that's going to be the title of this episode episode 107 <laughs> Ryan Reemy he doesn't really use common names <laughs> 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 you are such a snob. <laughs> okay, if, uh, you, if okay. you were to give it a common name. for Okay, for the layman out there, for the simpletons like Randy Reed, what would you call this thing? What would the common name be?
1: Uh, red Neon Blue
0: Eye.
1: A Red Neon Blue is Eye. It's
0: descriptive. As, yeah.
1: Okay, okay.
0: So my experience with the uh, aforementioned Red Neon Blue Eye as the purist has called it, um, was that they were actually quite difficult. Um, That was my first fish that I tried to breed when I set up a breeding rack in our spare bedroom, Um, much to my wife's, you know, chagrin, if you will. So I found them to be prolific egg eaters. And Mm -hmm. um, that was before I was feeding brine shrimp because Brian trip was just something like too scary. And, you know, I didn't want to mess with it. Mm-hmm. And when I reached out to Gary, you know, the, the legend himself, you know, his first thing was, well, are you, are you feeding them? Are you feeding them well enough? Um, are you feeding them Brian shrimp? Mm-hmm. And I don't even think I responded to him. Cause it was like, you know, you're tucking your head down. Like, you know, you kind of know the answer before you ask the question. It's like, no, <laughs> no, I'm not. Um, yeah. yeah. So I know the feeling. Yeah. Which, which is ironic because, you know, um, the, the past several years in my fish room, it has just been brine shrimp every single day. Every single tank gets it, mm-hmm. whether it's super red plecos that don't really need it, but I give it to them anyway, to every single killie, yeah. guppy, um, discus tank. I mean, even feeding like full grown adults baby brine shrimp, just everything. Just, it's, 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 I'm Oprah and it's baby brine shrimp for everybody. You get baby brine shrimp, you get, you get, get baby brine you get shrimp, you get baby brine shrimp. Where like when I really, really, really needed it, I just, um, I didn't do it. And actually, and I want to say, is this before my co-op time? And this is before the Zis brine shrimp hatcher. I think those are true statements. Mm. So the Zis brine shrimp hatcher and our eggs in particular. So here we go back to co-op plugging, um, made it so easy. And then initially using like Fritz RPM salt. So I'm not like futzing around with baking soda, you know, how much table salt do mm. I do? It's just, it's, it's like a liter to two tablespoons of salt done throw my eggs in and the nice thing about that formula that little recipe is i can have one brine shrimp egg in there or i could put a tablespoon of brine shrimp eggs in. doesn't matter that water mm-hmm. to salt ratio will hatch them out and then just kind of figuring out with a sieve and just just getting it down with being able to use those products and hatching brine shrimp so easily just completely was a was a total game changer so i should have some i should have go back and um you know, redeem myself and work with red neon blue eyes, as you call them again.
1: I find, found them once you pick the eggs and separate them from the parents, they're a fairly easy fish to breed. So I think if you revisit them, I think you'll have success.
0: But I I mean, even then, like I was picking eggs and, you know, with the ones that weren't eaten. And then I think they were never fertilized was also my other problem mm. and so i think that's where also so so setting up the email dear gary lang master of rainbow fish um i'm trying to work with red neon blue eyes as ryan Remy calls them uh here is my problem here's what's happening and i think it was yeah you probably just need to be feeding the adults much 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 better so maybe nutritionally mm-hmm. they were deficient and they were just you know maybe the males or the females didn't have enough nutrition um you know they, their bodies just weren't conditioned with the right foods to be able to produce viable eggs could be, could be an answer. Um, and then maybe also that's why they were turning to their eggs for, to get that nutrition back in their body.
1: I think that's very fair. Actually, weirdly enough, one of the largest clutches of eggs I've ever had was after my upper tour stole all of the uh, rapashi from my plecos. And the next day they just produced eggs like, I don't know. I don't have an adjective for it, but like a tsunami of eggs, pretty much. More eggs than mop.
0: What uh <laughs> more eggs than mop? That's crazy. Yes. Uh what what rapashi were you feeding your plecos?
1: I wanna say it was a mix of like bottom scratcher and community, and they just went
0: gangbusters for it. You would. You would just be picking a, it off like bottom feeders. You would be a, a rapashi mixer.
1: I say oh, that. Well. I say that,
0: but I've also <laughs> I did. Um, I did some red rum. I like. I would mix red 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 rum into Community Plus or Bottom Scratcher mm. or whatnot, just to get that extra um, that extra red coloring in for the super red plecos. Because I would like I to get think... some
1: some crap for feeding color enhancers. So I'll leave that there. But
0: what? How do you? Who? who oh, the purists, Your your fellow purists give you crap. Uh, uh,
1: speaking of Gary, and shout out to him. <laughs> he taught me a lot. But uh, he is not too happy that I line bred my Chilaterina species upper tour to be an (laughs) orange fish when in the wild they are a yellow fish. And he's like, we have plenty of orange rainbow fish uh, and not many yellow. But my F2 male from him is orange. Ah. Um, And after after he gave me crap on feeding color enhancers for like a year, I think he was like, okay, I can kind of see as the juveniles grow up, they're pretty bright orange too. Uh, and then out of spite, not out of spite, but I started feeding some extra color enhancers like red rum and like some paracoxus powder, mm. some other stuff like that.
0: Interesting. Are any of those guys, let's see, What what's the most recent fish you've got featured in your Instagram? <clears throat> you've got Chiller Athenis your upper tour, okay. And you call it charcoal mode versus colored down. As with most chilled Athenas, they can show an impressive range of colors, but it's interesting viewing them side by side. Anybody that's like, What the heck is Randy doing? One day ago, uh, you posted this video. You see your L3 through 3s in the background as well, and your, uh, mm-hmm. your chiller Athenas. So this is them colored down. Or uh, the second video, yes. The second so vi-
1: they're brighter orange uh, actually when they're kind mm-hmm. of colored down for the day. Kind of weird.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are very, but very pretty go- fish.
1: They can go uh, even darker black, and then turn on a golden head stripe. Their pectoral fins are also kind of a golden-y yellow, uh, but they can also just turn their body completely like white gold, just completely yellow as well.
0: And now, let i don't—I don't think I ever really think about this too much, other than like Bosmani, which come from. What lake do they come from? Around the Ayamaru area. Okay. So so these guys, these Chilothea, Upper Tor, where are they coming from in Papua New Guinea?
1: Um, kind of like if you want to think of the island as a uh, a brush turkey, like Gary likes to, to say, kind of like on its back. It's they're located in Sarmi in a district called Toritas or
0: Upper Tor. All right, we're going we're going Papua so New kind Guinea. Kind of on the northern edge. Google Maps. Uh so we are not in Papua, we're in Papua New Guinea, yeah.
1: Yes. Okay. I believe so. Uh don't quote me on that. Sometimes the (laughs) island namings are a trip.
0: And you said where where is it at?
1: Sarmi S-A-R-M-I.
0: S-A-R-M-I. Sarmi Sarmi. Okay, so it looks like Sarmi is on the northern back, so going up towards the mm-hmm. head. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. For a while, Heiko Blaher always told me that it's Blaheri, there's no difference. And one of the other collectors, Johannes Groff, had to step in, like, yeah, we actually ran the DNA. It is a different fish.
0: So oh, hold my beer. We ran cool. the DNA. Nice. Yeah, there's just... uh I may
1: have heard in an old GSAS talk that. The fish might uh, one day be named after Johannes. I don't know if that's leaking anything, but That'd be uh...
0: interesting. All right. How do you know so for like the collection point of this fish, like how far are they going into like the mainland? Um, away from the away from the ocean? Because Sarmi is like their other <laughs> cities are just right on the water. Like right on the water. And then it looks like you've got maybe a quarter mile and then boom, like you're just in dense, dense, dense vegetation.
1: Yeah, so the Upper Tor River should empty right. Sorry, that's my corgi barking uh, <laughs> uh, upside up right there. But uh, it should empty right uh, past Sarmie, Um So the Upper Tor River and Kali Ibram aren't very far from the city at all.
0: Okay. Oh, very cool. So I guess that makes collecting not too difficult. Yeah cuz I mean you just zoom mm-hmm, out you, you just zoom out and there's just so much green so much green and you got to wonder like what else like what other fish are in here that are just not discovered yet cuz I mean I know there's yeah, been a uh, decent amount of effort right but it's like nothing compared to probably what's been done in in Brazil or Peru or Colombia as far as collecting and exploring
1: right they tend to find new species every trip that they go on. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least in Sarmi, they were saying that a lot of the fish uh, at every bridge kind of looks the same, but um, around Sarmie, uh, where they found the upper tour, that was like the first time they're like, oh, this is something different.
0: Hmm. Very cool. Are there crocodiles on that northern part of the island, or are they in the southern part, or are they just all over?
1: Uh, I don't really hear about the crocs in Papua, but... Um, Definitely a challenge to collect in Australia, where they got the salties and freshies.
0: Oh, crocodiles! Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, uh, and you've you've been so we haven't even talked about the the fact that you've been to Peru as well, and you've also done some not quite collecting, but you have fished in the Amazon. Yes. Maybe we'll have to we'll have to have you back on in a couple months and just talk about your Peru experience. But going to Peru, like being in the water there. It, I just am totally fearless. Like other than the fact that I'm not the best swimmer and I very well may just drown. But there's nothing in that water where I'm like, oh man, I'm worried about this thing. Um, although there is something not they call the Cayman? No, not even Cayman, because I think everywhere we are, it's not like there's no anacondas, there's no Cayman. Um hmm. and I don't know, like you I, I just don't you don't hear the stories about Cayman going after people. Now, I'm not sure. saying that it's never happened before, but that's not really a thing I'm more worried about, like, oh, what about what's the venomous snake I'm gonna step on as we're going through the jungle oh. to go to this drying water hole? Like uh, that's that's what I'm more worried about. Um, they do have something called the blue whale. I think they call it the blue whale fish. I don't think it's very big, hmm. but this thing apparently like just is a bullet in the water and will slam into you and bite and just take a massive chunk out of you. To the point where one Oof. guy on a past trip had they had to like rush him back to Iquitos because one of these little blue whales just took a massive chunk out of his leg and he was just like bleeding oh. everywhere. And so yeah, there's there's that right. fish there's that fish to worry about. But it's like yeah, piranhas aren't gonna mess with you. Yeah, anacondas I'm not worried about. Cayman I'm not worried about. But like oh, let's go to Australia. Or let's go to like Papua New Guinea and collect. And it's like oh man, um, mm-hmm. there's saltwater crocodiles there. Like those are those just eat people. Like Mm -hmm. not, not, that's not just like Randy is from California and he's scared of everything exaggerating. That's like, Oh no. Like that thing is, those are, those are man eaters. So.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of my newest additions is Melanotania pygmea, which I think Corey used to have. Uh, But the story on that is uh, I think just below the Prince Prince Regent river, uh, 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 below the falls, they were swimming through crocodiles hand over hand with the bag of pygmea. It's like, I would not risk my life just for some dinky little fish. Not dinky, but they're, they're smaller. One of the smaller species of rainbow fish out there.
0: That is insane. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And what, northwestern Australia? Prince Regent River? Mm-hmm. I oh, think so. Oh, my goodness. No, thank you. Yeah, and there's all sorts of good videos of, like, fishermen reeling in a fish in Australia, and then all of a sudden a crocodile comes out of the water, like, bolting after them, and they just run away. Yeah. Ay, ay, ay. Oh, saltwater crocodiles. I bet if we looked on Google Earth long enough, just along this coastline, we could probably find some saltwater crocodiles just, just chilling. Probably. We should, also, we should also look for some Nile crocodiles, too. I feel like those guys, We could. they're, they're so big that we should be able to see them zoomed mm-hmm. in with Google Earth. All right, enough about Randy and his fears of um, ferocious animals. Ryan, what would you like to leave the folks with today? Anything uh, you want to share in uh, in closing?
1: Uh, yeah, I would say you don't need a four foot tank for rainbow fish. you can keep them in smaller tanks and that's uh that's my closing
0: point just because let's okay let's let's do that. let's do that. So let's say. Um, somebody wants to start breeding some Bozmonei rainbow, right? They're like, man, that Mm -hmm. that fish is like two different colored fish in one. That thing is amazing. Give me what is a great basic setup to start working with that fish, Ryan, and I think we'll leave people with that.
1: In a breeding setup, you could do a 20-gallon high even, paint it black, uh, basically just having one panel to view through. That way they're not hitting uh, the sides of tanks or anything like that. And just basically have a mop in there so that all their attention will go towards that mop and not other plants or structures or whatnot. Um, and even when you're not breeding them, sometimes it is advantageous to have a mop in the tank so the males aren't slamming the females into the ground or substrate um, if there is no spawning media. Mm. But I would say for general practice, a 40-gallon tank is, or 40-breeder is a excellent size tank to start a rainbow fish tank with
0: and what what would you start with as far as so let's let's go with the 20 high so you're getting that 20 a gallon mm-hmm. petco deal which hey thankfully inflation hasn't really hit that too much that's still that's still a killer deal um 20 a gallon oof that's a. oh that's i'm sorry i'm tank. sorry i'm sorry 20 gallon <laughs> one dollar a gallon 20 bucks for the 20 gallon apologies
1: mm-hmm. um
0: so you're starting off with that we're going bare bottom i'm guessing bare bottom no plants whatsoever preter, yeah Okay, uh, what what kind of filtration are we doing? My favorite is matten filters. Just
1: the bio load that they're able to uh, keep up with is insane. Uh, how dare you! How dare you
0: not say the Aquarium Co-op core sponge filter, Ryan? How I dare use
1: you? it in all of my other tanks <laughs> for the breeder tanks. I use matten
0: Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. I've used Matten before too, and my, my experience with Mattons is that uh, getting fry that go into the uplift tube. And then, are they, because mm. I I don't run it where it like falls down. I I usually run them at, at a higher water level, and so they swim mm-hmm. through that and end up in the backside. Um, oh, yeah. Wow. So matten filter still great filtration. A um, lot of lot of bio load. So we have got matten filter. Uh, what temperature are you keeping them at?
1: Uh in the past, I used to raise rainbow fish closer to like 80 to 84 degrees, um, a little bit lower for breeding. But uh, I've started breeding closer to 78 degrees. Um, faster or higher temperatures will help fish grow faster. Mm-hmm. Maybe get more frisky. But I've liked the long-term upkeep around 78
0: Okay, and then once the, uh, what, okay, let's start with, or let's let's continue with uh, male to female ratio, how many in a 20 high? What are we starting off with? And the good thing is sexual dimorphism, easy to tell the males from the females. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it depends on the, the species, like some of the larger species, I would maybe just do a trio or two pair, uh, but even then you might not want to breed them in a 20 high, but like your standard uh, three to four inch rainbow, uh, which can incorporate encompass like kamakas. You could probably do six in a twenty high. Uh, so in terms of gender ratios, I'm not a big proponent of that, but uh, pairs is usually easy enough for people.
0: Okay. So just a a Bozmante male female pair. Okay, and um once they do their deed in the spawning mop, how often are you pulling that thing out, um, and we're moving it over to probably, what, like a 5 or a 10 gallon?
1: That would be ideal, yep. Um, I would, I generally leave my mops in just year-round, and whenever I need to pull, is usually, uh, I'll just pull out and throw it in another tank, or sometimes if I'm short on space, I'll use breeder nets,
0: but um, yeah, uh, uh Sorry, remind me of the question. I, uh... <laughs> so you're so you've got uh, you've got eggs in your mop now. Um, are you are you mm-hmm. hand picking them and just dropping them to the bottom of the 10 gallon or 5 gallon or are you you're actually transporting the entire spawning mop and then maybe putting in like your second oh, spawning yeah. mop back into the main tank so that they've still got that one.
1: Yeah, I basically just pull the entire mop and then throw a new one in there. And I don't usually reuse the mops I could. It's just sometimes after leaving them in for like a month or however long I may have left that in there. It gets a little algified.
0: Oh, so are you, you're you actually disposing? Or are you cleaning, like sanitizing? Like, what are you doing? Uh, I
1: dispose of the mop, but you'll probably think I'm a little crazy. I am a big sanitizer. So even the python between water changes, I'm sanitizing with isopropyl
0: alcohol, like spraying oh, it in the python too. Oh, okay. Have you had like a velvet outbreak before or something? Like, what, or have you just always been, I gotta wash my hands 10 times after like shaking somebody's hand?
1: Uh, It's my irrational fear of mycobacteria, (laughs) which I'm not even sure isopropyl alcohol is that good against myco, but I think it just gives me a peace of mind. Maybe if I have velvet or Mm. if it's dormant in a tank, I'm not then transferring it.
0: Yeah. But it gives
1: me peace of mind and it hasn't really affected the fish.
0: I had velvet pop up in a tank that had no new fish for months. Stable stable mixed species tank, months and months and months since a new fish was introduced to that tank. And no other tank had velvet breakout except for that like 120 high. And I had to nuke it. Like I just had to completely nuke it. Let it just sit dry for a couple months before I even felt comfortable putting water back in that thing. So no, I mean it's uh, mm. it can happen, man. It can happen, and it's you know as a as a fish keeper, as somebody working with uh, with species, especially expensive fish, or not even expensive, just rare, hard to get. You know, you had to put a lot of effort into mm-hmm. getting certain species. You know, it's like the last thing that you want to happen. Um, all right, let's go back to our closing. Uh, so we've got the eggs in another tank now. At this point, they have hatched mm-hmm. out. What are you doing from there? Uh, when I
1: was working from home, it was a lot easier, but I try to feed powdered foods like golden pearls, five to 50 micron, uh, four to six times a day. And that really gives me a peace of mind that, uh, they're getting food. Some species like, uh, wernerii warneri or the threadfin rainbow, uh, don't always surface feed. So creating a solution of the powdered foods and like pipetting that towards the surface because they sit sometimes like a centimeter or two below the water surface, and that puts the food right in their face. After about seven days, depending on the species, I'll get them on baby brine and shrimp, try to feed them three to four times a day of that. And usually once they're like a week on baby brine, I don't really worry about them. It's just like months of waiting.
0: That is actually a very good point, too, about raising rainbow fish. And it's not, it's not anything complicated. It's They are so small that you they will not, or it's highly unlikely that they can eat baby brine shrimp, um, even mm-hmm. like the smallest baby brine shrimp, because they're such small fry. So you need to feed uh, golden pearls, which is a neutrally buoyant food. So it doesn't just float. It doesn't just sink. It just kind of like is what it is and just wherever it ends mm-hmm. up in the water column it just kind of chills there um so yes yes the multiple feedings of baby of of um golden pearls which i'm pretty sure when i actually got my fish to spawn i want to say i called in or worked from home a couple days uh when they first oh. hatched. so <laughs> and this is back when i worked at amazon so jeff bezos uh, mm-hmm. you know he can he can get mad at me for that sure <laughs> All right, Ryan. Well, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Thank you for being our uh, our guest on episode 107, and hopefully this kind of return to podcasting and, and conversation about our, our beloved multifaceted hobby was not a complete train wreck sure, because yeah. I forgot what to do. Not that it was ever about me. It's always about the guest. <laughs> so, Ryan, thank you so much, man. And I'll uh, try to remember to have links to Hoon Aquatics, your Instagram, your YouTube Um, Yeah, and thank you for Aquarium Co-op for uh, bringing Mm -hmm. us the wonderful Easy Plant LED that hopped off the shelf and promoted this episode and sponsored this episode. So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Ryan. I appreciate your time, man.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure.